Hi, my name is Brian Smith, and welcome to the second episode of Safe Place Campus. I'm so excited that you all are still sticking around and listening. Tonight, we're going to be discussing some trending topics as it relates to the LGBTQIA plus community, and I'm joined by one of my classmates. We're going to talk about the Secretary of Education statement about whether or not the department needs to protect LGBTQIA plus students, and we're also going to talk about the Justice Millette case and how that may have or hasn't impacted the way people view hate crimes. All right, uh, joining me, I have my good friend and classmate, Jordan. Jordan, go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> you can say your name again. Uh, hi, my name is Jordan. I'm here in the PR program with my peer friend, classmate, uh, Bryant to talk about some important issues. Yes, because there are so many things that are happening when it involves the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, And, you know, this is about giving voices to people and making sure that we're discussing and having, you know, conversations that lead to actionable steps for change. So today we have a couple of things that we're going to discuss. According to The Hill, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos did not directly answer a question about whether she opposed discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity after being questioned on Tuesday, March 26th at a House hearing on President Trump's education budget. Representative Mark Pokin asks, do you think it's all right for a school to discriminate based on someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. DeVos paused before responding that her civil rights office investigates any allegation of discrimination. We have laws that cover discriminatory efforts and our office for civil rights has continued to be very diligent in investigating any allegation of discrimination and will continue to do so. Pokin responded saying that he was looking for a yes or no answer to the question. It's not a clear yes or no from her whether the Department of Education is responsible for protecting students that are a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. So Jordan, what do you feel about Betsy DeVos not really saying that the federal government needs to protect? It's not the education department's job to protect LGBTQIA plus students. Uh, I think uh, Betsy has sort of uh, encountered a lot of controversy since she started this position. Yes, she has. And uh, she hasn't necessarily been favorable among people who work in education or who are in that uh, community of education. And so this is not surprising to kind of see that she's not really trying to advocate for uh, the LGBTQIA plus community and making sure that they receive um, the attention and the quality education and resources and support that they need in, in school. And so I think it's, it's a little bit sad that that's still um, something that we even have to discuss, the fact that um, there are students with the, within the community who don't feel like they are receiving the support the support that they deserve, need, like every other student um, across, uh, across education. Right. Um, I think it speaks to a lot of what this administration, how they've presented themselves. When you think that you don't believe it's your job to make sure the students feel safe. Right. We're not talking about, you know, allowing people to carry guns in schools or we're not talking about allowing kids to wear whatever they want, you know, right. ripped jeans. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> we're not talking about, you know, allowing people to leave school and go get lunch because they don't like what the cafeteria is providing for them to eat as an option. Right. And they didn't bring their lunch with them. We're talking about people just being able to feel safe, mm-hmm. people having spaces where they can say, like, you know, I'm being discriminated against and this is not okay. This is not something that I feel comfortable with. 
And this is not something that should be happening, nor anything that I have to put up with. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely something that the federal government should, and not just the federal government, the local government, mm-hmm. um, the state level, the county level, every every single level should be in one, on, on one accord saying that we're going to protect everyone Mm -hmm. you know we're not going to judge anyone by their sexuality or their religion or their ethnicity the only Mm -hmm. thing that we care about the contents of your heart and if that's trashy then that's another (laughs) that's another that's a whole another conversation (laughs) but if we just talking about you know who you like and all those different things and there really isn't any space for us to get confused about should we be protecting these people because i find it crazy that it was not a yes yes we should be protecting yes the Department of Education will make sure to protect these people. Yes, we will make sure that if the private schools are doing this, we're going to step in and we're going to intercede on these people's behalf. Mm-hmm. It's problematic. Yeah. Completely, totally problematic. I agree. It's, it is super problematic. And I think the focus should still be, of course, the students, like every single student that's being served by the um, educational system, they should be the priority. And, and the focus should be on the quality of the education that these students are receiving. And I think that, um, as someone who identifies with this community, who has really been fortunate to have access to a quality education growing up and and being supported, um, all of my identities being supported, I can I can clearly say that um, this decision that the federal government that Betsy is behind um, is really doing a disservice to members of that community. Members now, of our community. growing up, um, where did you grow up? So I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, okay. born in the Midwest, um, but I moved out here when I was young to the Central Valley here in uh, Northern California. So I'm oh, from, really? I'm from Stockton, actually, Stockton, California. Okay, so how was that experience growing up as a member of the community? It was really, I mean, I was fortunate to have parents who were loving and accepting and supporting, and I came into my identity more when I started my undergraduate education at UC Berkeley. Um, but going through a college prep school um, where the community... Um, where just the overall student population was pretty small because I did come from a small graduating class where we pretty much all knew each other. And um, we had quality teachers who were committed to our education, making sure that we received, you know, all the resources that we need to be um, to be scholars, to be um, civically aware of what's going on in, in this country, in this world. Like that was something that I, to this day, am incredibly grateful for because I think it's informed my approach and my understanding of, of our country and of our societal issues and things like that. Um, so I, I did have a lot of support, like I said, just from my family and um, coming from um, a quality school growing up, uh, high school, middle school, things like that. Like I, I felt like um, every member of every community race, religion, sexuality was was supported and that was important to make sure that students felt welcomed and safe. Now question, do you have peers that are also a part of the LGBTQIA plus community that didn't have that experience? You know, I honestly can't say that I do because um, there weren't too many kids that were out <laughs> when I um, <laughs> uh, was in high school, which feels so long ago now. <laughs> um, now that we're going down memory lane on this throwback Thursday. Um, but <laughs> as this comes out on a Saturday, <laughs> as this comes out on a Saturday, okay, please disregard the day of this taping. Um, but no, I think uh, there are a lot of kids who, and this is completely um, relatable and understandable. When you're young, it's it's not exactly um, the easiest thing to come out and to be 
fully comfortable in your skin and to have a supporting family. So I didn't exactly know anyone from my high school community who um, was openly out or who felt like they weren't receiving the support that they needed because of their identity. Um, And that's not to say the same happened in undergrad um, because there were spaces, there were safe spaces for people who identified with the LGBTQIA community. And that was important and critical, I think, to making sure that everyone felt welcomed and um, included um, in the campus environment and the campus uh, climate. Yeah, speaking of safe places at your undergraduate university, how do you feel that USC does um, when it comes to providing safe spaces for members of the LGBTQIA plus community? You know what? Hold on. <laughs> I got a question. Yes. Do I have to say LGBTQIA plus every time I say it? I know that, like, is that the proper terminology to use? Can it be shortened? Is LGBTQ offensive or does it alienate people who go after the Q or is it LGBTQ plus or enlighten right. me? <laughs> you know what? I don't think it's offensive at all. Speaking for me personally, who okay. identifies with the community, I'm not offended if you um, shorten the uh, acronym. <laughs> um, in fact, I say queer in, in place of LGBTQ uh, IA plus because I think queer is more of an umbrella term that it can sort of uh, encompass the identities within that acronym. Um, just to say the queer community, um, I think that in and of itself is another way of just being more, um, I guess, inclusive, but also just kind of like seeing how like that term itself can apply to so many different, um, you know, identities within within that acronym that we just uh, spelled out for you. <laughs> uh, so it is like an alphabet for sure, LGBTQ. IA plus, um, but no, and I think adding the plus is something that a lot of us um, don't necessarily uh, give attention to, and I think we should because the plus is inclusive of uh, more identities within that acronym. But I, for me, I just say queer. <laughs> okay, the queer community. You heard it here. I've been approved to say the queer community. Yes, um, by Jordan. He attends USC. Oh, goodness. If there are any issues, take it up with him. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I am only one voice. <laughs> yes, but uh, I love everyone. <laughs> so back to USC. Um, what has been your experience? Do you feel like the safe places that you saw at your undergraduate institution, do they exist here? I would definitely say they do. I mean, because I'm a graduate student, my experience is different from the undergrads. Right. Um, And so I'm not maybe as actively involved in those spaces because as a graduate student, our schedules are really busy. And so we don't always um, have a lot of free time (laughs) or, you know, time along those lines to um, do things outside of our curriculum. But I would definitely say that the experience that undergraduates have here in terms of navigating um, the campus and having resources and safe spaces, um, from what I've gathered, I don't think this is a hostile campus environment. I don't know of any experiences from undergrads who feel like they can't be themselves here or feel like they're not safe here. Um, at least that's just my understanding. That's my general understanding. No, I was. I would venture to say that I agree, although I'm not a part of the community, um, even just, you know, from my own things, you know, being black. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and which is, they're, they're, not the, they're not the same, oh, but no. the two aren't mutually <laughs> exclusive, obviously. Right, right. Um, but th- I don't feel any you know, tension or anything like that. Um, yeah. And, you know, from my friends who are part of the community, I, I'm empathizing with them. I don't, f- they don't 
haven't I haven't seen them feel neglected or discriminated against. Um, and there are a ton of organizations on campus that right, right. they can be a part of that can give them a voice um, for anything that may not be up to par or you know up to the standard at which we are now. Right, and just in undergrad, I know that um, there was a space specifically for now that we mentioned um, our our. Uh, ethnic background <laughs> there was a space for actually black queer students at uc berkeley where i where i went and that was a space that i felt even more um i guess included because it was it was my community it was the intersections of my racial identity my um, sexual identity and i'm not quite sure if usc has the same again resources for members of the LGBTQ, members of the queer community. I just said queer earlier. <laughs> members of the queer community. Um, Don't forget, you cleared it. <laughs> right, I, 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 I cleared it. I cleared it. <laughs> um, it Heard. is official. I feel like there needs to be a snap um, At the plus. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, uh, I think those spaces are important, too, to kind of, you know, acknowledge the intersections as well, because that's just as well, or just as equally important. Um, but, yeah, I had that space in undergrad, and that was... Um, I think really important for me because I was able to interact with other black queer students and um, we were able to just share a lot of our experiences that were very similar. Um, We had a lot in common. And I think, um, again, I can't, I don't know if USC has those same resources for, um, I guess, uh, people who want to enter those spaces, but also want to be amongst people who are of the same, uh, you know, same color, people of the same color. Um, well, speaking of members of the black queer community, <laughs> our dear brother Jesse Smollett has been acquitted of all of the charges that were brought <laughs> up against him. As reported by Vulture, Jesse Smollett was reportedly attacked after midnight on January 29th by two white men in ski masks who yelled racist and homophobic slurs at him and championed MAGA country. This was brought to the attention of Chicago Police Department after Smollett filed a police report. As news broke of the shocking incident, many celebrities and politicians rallied behind the openly gay actor, both in the press and on social media. It wasn't until February when investigators uncovered a blurred video of two men walking near the supposed crime scene that the case took a very unexpected turn, one that would eventually cast suspicion on the actor himself. On February 20th, a Cook County, Illinois grand jury found probable cause that Smollett staged the attack. He was arrested and also slapped with 16 felony counts after allegedly lying to police about a hate crime. But surprisingly, on March 26, prosecutors in the case abruptly dropped all the charges. So now Jesse is free. Okay, Jesse is a free man. The case is closed. Ain't nobody coming for him. Well, President Trump did send out a tweet saying that the Department of Justice and the FBI would be looking into this. So he may not be as clean free as he is in this current moment, but all 16 charges have been dropped. Um, and so I guess I want to know, do you think that whether he did it or not, has this changed the way people across the globe and specifically in America look at hate crimes that occur to members of the queer community? You know, I think there was so much reaction towards, um, Jesse's case. I think a lot of people had mixed reactions just in terms of thinking that, yes, this was a setback for the queer community, thinking that this was a publicity stunt. And Well, I'll go on record saying that when it happened, I was very firm that, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this happened to Jesse. 
this is these are the things that we have issues with and that we have problems with and I got on social media and I was a part of the we have to make sure that this is handled correctly and you know everyone has their own opinions about the Chicago police but mm-hmm. I saw a meme that said the Chicago police ain't been right since Carl Winslow was on the force oh my god um, and I'm not going to say that that's to not going to say that <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth but mm-hmm. I will say that there are things that have happened with the Chicago police department that left people not necessarily trusting or the case in their hands. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, also a part of the initial reaction of saying like, okay, what happened to brother Jesse? Like we have to stand behind him. It doesn't matter um, that, you know, you're queer. It doesn't matter that you're black at the end of the day, you are human, but those two attributes being on top of you have now brought you into a space where there are communities that are already disadvantaged that are now going to champion your case that are now going to speak up for you and say these are the things that we need to occur and it was like once this came out that this may not be true it's like (laughs) what is going on what's happening here and i think that people were valid and having mixed emotions as a reaction to the fact that this may have been a hoax as you as you alluded to. But I think that I don't really think it said anything back. I think it may have put a bad light around hate crimes and make it easier for people who who are already on the other side to say that, that this person is lying, that, you know, this didn't happen. We need to check the cameras. Who goes to Subway at 2 a.m. by themselves? Like it's going to call it may give fuel to the fire for them to use it as sort of a as a use it as a standard Mm -hmm. for comparison when other hate crimes happen because you know when you're in a disadvantaged community Mm -hmm. if one person does something it sets the tone for (laughs) how everyone in the world is going to interact with it from then for then then on out yeah so i think that there may be that but as far as it actually setting back i think that if it set it back for anybody, they didn't care. You know, they didn't care in the first place. One person lying about a hate crime when so many happen and so many go unsolved doesn't really, that shouldn't sway the big picture. You know, he's a prominent person and I am not saying that he lied. I am saying that a person lying (laughs) should not be able to hold the magnitude of shifting the way people who believe victims and people who believe victors because you know it something happens to you but you come out of it and we claim victory in that and i'm sure he felt very vindicated yes finding out that the charges were dropped and all of that and those are really good important points as well just just in terms of thinking about um you know where the community is at today regarding this and perceptions and things like that but i think this case is so layered and it's been um it's been talked about now for for feels like a very long time. It's been a long time. It feels like we've been talking about this since 2019 kicked off. Yes. But it was in the beginning of February because I remember people talking about Black History Month keeps taking hits. Right, <laughs> right, right. So it was, in, it was in the beginning of February. But I really don't think that... I think people who didn't care still don't care. And they're just going to use this as fuel to light their fire for not caring. Right. And the people who are championing maybe less quick to hop on to something when someone says something so like if someone says this occurred to me it may be like a, Ooh, let's get the facts let's look at all mm-hmm. of this because i think that jesse is partially responsible for how it blew up in the media but before he could even say anything it was already number one trending there were already mm-hmm. thousands of posts about it mm-hmm. we created the narrative you know mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. had this police report and it's 
you know, they done beat Jesse down and yes. uh, <laughs> put this noose around his throat and done. And bleach and everything. Bleached and everything. And we've, we've attributed all these emotional ties to the situation that the police report did not do. He, he woke up into that, you know. Right, right. Not that he tried to play it down, but he did wake up into that. So I think that this may, say a pre- may set a precedent for how moving forward we interact with cases or interact with crimes. I'm still want to believe people when they say that something happened to them. Yeah, but me too. You mm-hmm. still there has to be a space for due process mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and clarity. So now you know if something if some another prominent figure came out and said that this happened to them, there may be people who have pause, or there may be people who are like, ah, you know, let's just wait for all the facts to roll around. But I do think that for the most part, the people who are vocal are going to be vocal, and the people who are vocally against are still <laughs> going to be vocally against. It just seems like, yeah, people think that other people that are involved in incidents like this have hidden agendas or their intentions aren't exactly pure. And so I think there are rumors around Jesse wanting a salary increase at Empire. I love Empire, by the way. <laughs> and I know that there's been some division amongst But the that set. doesn't even make sense. Like, how would... Well, who would go to the right. lengths that Jesse... Like who would go to the lengths of a uh, noose and bleach? There are a lot of things stuff. that don't add up, but the reasons that have been suggested for why he did it I can't buy them. Yeah, but I mean, I am very I'm happy for him because I think that you know he's been I guess he's been pretty consistent with his truth uh, right throughout this entire case, and so I know there definitely seems to be some feeling of redemption and things like that that he must be. Do you think he can be redeemed? Uh, time will tell. <laughs> I time, think time will tell. Will tell with that's that, a that's sure. a good answer. Um, time will definitely tell. I mean, I hope so. I just, I you know, it's just it's, we we talked about the intersections of being black and being queer, and then yeah, you're adding the legal system in and how it doesn't really serve um, our community or communities of color, or Talk marginalized about it. communities, and things like that. And so, like I said earlier, this case is so layered that you can look at it every which way and analyze it and things like that. And um, I think because there have been so many there have been so many think pieces about how, you know, people already don't believe crimes when they happen to the queer community, Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. the number one you know victim are black trans women. Then it's people all across the board in the queer community that have all of these stories and experiences that aren't heard, that aren't honored, that aren't fought for. So I think it's very important that we don't let the potential of whatever this may be because the case is closed. So all we have to go on is that he said he was innocent. The police said he wasn't, but the court said that he is. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's it's always going to be the court of public opinion anyway. Right. And in terms of like where. Which can be worse than the legal court at times. Legal, right, right. We just talked about how media blew it out of proportion. Yeah. And how Jesse may have contributed to that being blown out of proportion. But I think at the end of the day, it's definitely how people are going to. Um, you know, perceive him, look at him moving forward with his career and, and yeah, perceive um, attacks against um, members of the queer community who also happen to be people of color. I think those are important, um, like you said, things to to really look into and, and consider because so many times those stories aren't heard or they aren't believed or they're ignored or they're sidelined. And I think that's um, an important thing about this particular case um, with Justine and what happened in Chicago. And I think even like on a campus level, it's very important to make sure that you are here and that you are allies for people. You don't have to, because you aren't a member of the queer community, be rude or be disrespectful. You know, you can 
assist these organizations that are bringing about voices that are bringing about opportunities for these people to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, this is this is what this whole platform is about, <laughs> having people being able to tell their stories yes. and then based on the stories that are told, creating actionable steps to do something after that. Because one thing that this campaign is really big on is creating sanctuary spaces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sanctuary spaces, you know, depending on who you're creating the sanctuary for can have a variety of different meanings. But it's really just making sure that everyone who is anyone Mm -hmm, feels mm -hmm. safe. And I think USC, when it comes to the LGBTQIA plus community, from my experience looking at the people that I know that are part of it, does a pretty good job that for the most part, USC does a pretty good job or students at USC. Let me say not that maybe not the institution. I can't speak to the institution, Mm -hmm. but the students that I've interacted with both graduate and undergraduate seem to have a love, care, and respect for everyone. And I also think the area that we're in plays a part of that, mm-hmm. being in California versus being in the South, because... Right, right. <laughs> That's well, a whole other okay. story. Because <laughs> the situation. Bible Belt ain't so <laughs> Christian, <laughs> if you want to... You know, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. Which is sad, but <laughs> it's the reality that, unfortunately, is uh, going on right now. <laughs> yeah, but thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I think that this was an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed having you here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) We have a duty to make sure that everyone feels safe. And so we're going to revisit these conversations again regarding the LGBTQIA plus community or the queer community with more people who are here championing on the ground um, with the organizations that are available for those people to share their collective voices and experiences and then to take steps to make any change or just have community where they can fellowship and feel safe. So thank you so much for tuning in. This has been episode two of Safe Place Campus, and I can't wait to bring you more next week.